We are always standing for something, but we're usually not aware of what we're standing for. And that has to do with just how busy and crazy our conscious minds are. But the truth is in every single moment of our lives, there is a primary underlying objective that is live. Here we are, we're in this conversation. Now, if I didn't know what I know, I might be standing for you liking me, or I could ultimately be standing for book sales, right? So there are all these primary underlying objectives that are live, and it's the primary underlying objective that is live in a moment that is really going to determine so much of our experience. But when we're not aware of what that primary underlying objective is, we're going to be victim to its whims. Have you ever had that experience where you have to give really hard feedback? You're like, oh, this isn't fun. I don't want to do this. The only reason it's hard and the only reason you might not do it is because in that moment of opportunity, you are standing for avoiding conflict. You are standing for being liked. You are standing for playing it safe. You are not standing for their growth. Whoa. This is Impact, the podcast where we explore entrepreneurship, mindset, and health to provide you with the ingredients for an unregrettable version of your life story. I always thought Quidditch was a stupid game. I remember reading, and now I'm rereading Harry Potter. I've got three girls, and they're describing Quidditch, and I didn't, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. I was like, there's a whole game happening. And you could just score points and you just keep going and we could all be on the same level. And then there's a second game happening. There's the second game happening. If you're not familiar with Quidditch, which is an imaginary game, which upon internet research, I have come to learn is actually a real, like they've turned into a real, a real game and it's since evolved. And so anyway, I digress. Quidditch is an imaginary game from Harry Potter. And in Quidditch, you ride around on broomsticks and you've got these balls and you, and I might not have all the terminology, right? But you throw the balls through the rings and you get points for throwing the balls through the rings. And, and simultaneously there's like these bludgers that try to knock you off your broomstick and may the best team win. And then simultaneously we have this other activity happening where there's two players, one on each side, they're called the seekers. And all of a sudden, there's this thing called a snitch. And a snitch is this little gold ball with these little rings. And all of a sudden, the snitch will get thrown into the game at random. And the seeker, the seeker's whole job, one, is to not get knocked off the room by a bludger. But two, is when the snitch emerges to be the first one to grab the snitch. And grabbing the snitch and hanging onto the snitch affords you way more points than you'd ever get through all the ball throwing below. This is where I, I thought the game was a little bit silly. Like, why are all the efforts of all the other people trumped? What? Like, it just... Anyway, my logical brain was was struggling. And then I was thinking... I was thinking about Quidditch. I was thinking about life. And then I was thinking about the symbolism. I was thinking about all the intelligent things that are actually in existence within Harry Potter. And within that, there's there are two games happening. There's the busyness of Quidditch, the throwing the ball back and forth, the entertainment, the stuff that is done for the crowd. And then there's the real purpose of the game. There's the real unrelenting focus. There is the quick win, which is finding the snitch. I had this conversation with my mastermind group this week. And I said, one of the things that has been coming up for people lately is that they feel so busy and they feel so overwhelmed. And to when they sit down to do work, they don't know where to focus. There's all this stuff going on. There's a whole Quidditch game of busyness happening in their lives. And so what I asked all of them and I asked all of you is this, what is your snitch? 
What's the real point? What's the real thing you're working for? What's the real thing you're standing for? What's the point of the busyness? Because the busyness is just occupying space so we can go after the snitch. What are you really after? And to be clear, the whole point of a Quidditch game is not just for the snitch to come. It's the journey of the snitch arriving. It's the athletic rivalry that gets to exist beforehand. It's the journey. And then when the snitch comes, we get to experience the victory. The point is not the snitch in and of itself, but the snitch is still a big focus. You're still hanging out with me. We're now deep in this analogy. Here's my question to you. What is your snitch? What are you standing for? That was the essence of the conversation that I had that you're about to hear with Amy Wong. Now, Amy has this incredible background. She studied mathematics at Stanford. She was an objective thinker, but she was deeply fascinated in this idea of truth. She described mathematics. She said, you know, the thing about math is that I have this opportunity to put into equation, which is just numerical language, to put into equation truth, universal truths, environmental truths, planetary truths. We, we can do that in numbers. It's so objective and tangible and real. And she said, and the other side, I got really curious and interested in this idea of transformational psychology. How do we change people? What is, what is subjective truth, which is the other side of the brain? And so what, what we got into and what we talked about in, in our interview today and Amy talks about in her book is this idea of living life on purpose? How do we get massively clear on our intentions so that it enables us to step through anxiety? It enables us to step through fear of judgment. It enables us to see the snitch. That is what I talked about today with Amy. It was a fascinating conversation. We unpacked a ton of stuff. We had like a mini course in transformational psychology over the course of this interview. I know you are going to love it. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Amy Wong. Welcome to Impact. Oh, I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I was shared with you just before we got started that I have this like energetic universal beacon to pull in anyone who is speaking on any realm of this concept of purpose and intention and as a as an adverb as a noun as a like just the there is an energetic vibration to the word purpose and i like to pull it in and so we're going to we're going to unpack this from from a different angle an angle that's different than my audience is used to hearing about it um from me and before we do that amy can you just give us some context. Tell us about what it is that you do, your amazing book, Living on Purpose, and then we are going to delve into a fascinating conversation. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So I have been a leadership coach, a coach, a transformative coach. I focus a lot on communication. That's my area of expertise. I've been doing this for over a decade and um, didn't start here. I ended up in this realm I mean, which was truly, truly my purpose. I didn't know it way back when, but everything I've ever done really has led me to this point to do this work. And, you know, starting at an early age, I was just fascinated with, I mean, truly enthralled with all conversations around beingness and consciousness and thinking is causative and 
spirituality. And so, I mean, it, in fifth grade, I stumbled upon Thich Nhat Hanh in the library and fell in love with his work and started meditating at an early age. So just very, very hungry for the bigger questions. And at the same time, very hungry for mathematics. So I studied math at UC Berkeley and ended up quite technical the first part of my life. But interestingly, my passions and my curiosities and my and my my strengths really all kind of led to this point. And you know, I uh, just it's what I realized early on in my kind of first part of my career because I was teaching math. I was constantly in these facilitation roles and translating really complex things to different audiences. And I really realized, wow, you know what? What I'm here to do is be able to listen for the stuff that people don't know that they don't know. And I can hear it in their argument and I can hear it in their language. And and so that was has been a thread and a theme. And it just really kind of it, it it's 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 it started to culminate to this. I got my master's in transpersonal psychology and Really, honestly, when I decided to do it at an infant, I had no idea what I was going to do with it, Megan. No clue. I just knew I had to study it because it was fascinating. And lo and behold, the two fields lend itself perfectly to this work. And so over the past 10 years, I have had hundreds, I mean, if not thousands of conversations with the most incredible individuals. And it became very clear to me, wow, we've got, there are some very, very, very solid themes in the ways in which we hold ourselves back in the ways in which we get in our way, in the ways in which we self-sabotage. And so that's really what led to this book because it was super clear to me and what I was doing with clients was working. And I thought, oh my gosh, can't just, this can't be limited to the people I'm working with. We got to get this out in the world because it works. And so that's kind of, that's, that's why we're here. That's why we're talking right now. What, if any, is the relationship between mathematics and transformational psychology? Oh my gosh, I love that. Thank you for that question. If I could put words to what my hunger was back then, I didn't have words for it then, but I do now. It was really a search for truth. And what I was really drawn to in the, my first part of my life was the very objective search for truth. And the thing about math is it is a language to understand the universe. And a lot of people think that math is arithmetic. And it's like, well, arithmetic's a part of math, but when you really do study math, it's not, it's not really arithmetic. When you're getting to higher levels of math, and particularly when you study it, you know, at, at a college or graduate degree level, you are, what you're doing is you are discerning and you are sifting and you are sorting and you are, and you are making sense of large, abstract, maybe seemingly disparate uh, sets of data looking for patterns, looking for meaning, and then being able to describe it and capture it in a very succinct and irrefutable way. And that is a skill that, you know, to be able to do that, it's, it's, it is a really true rigorous skill to be able to, to discern amongst pattern and find meaning and essentially truth. That's, that's on that side. Now, transpersonal psychology is also a search for truth, but totally opposite. It's not linear. It's not, it's not always logical. This is subjective. That's math is objective. Transpersonal psychology is subjective. And so that search for truth really is, it's nonlinear. It's sometimes seemingly um, counterintuitive or sometimes illogical. But what I have found is that both approaches were just an amazing exploration for making sense of this existence. And transpersonal psychology really balanced me out. Because I was quite left-brained before. It's actually really—it's so cool what you're describing. Like you're—you're you're talking about the search for truth, 
and you've covered the full spectrum of the subjective and the objective, which is actually a, a real rarity in these in these conversations. We have people who are often just like leaning into it through one, yeah, uh, through yeah. one realm. I, like I, I love the three dimensional nature of that oh. perspective. So when you yeah. say living on purpose, what are you talking about? Oh, yes. So, I mean, doesn't that just sound good? Like, let's live on purpose. Oh, totally. Yeah, right? Doesn't that just sound nourishing and like, yeah. It sounds way like, better than trying to trying to find balance. Oh, right? Uh, you know, it's I, just I'm like, huh? yeah, yeah, but finding balance just feels like, oh, I got to compromise and I got to sacrifice and I got to weigh pros and cons. But living on purpose, it's, I mean, I think people intrinsically get, yeah, that means I'm in the driver's seat of my own life. That means that I am truly in, in, in charge here. And what living on purpose is, it's waking up from autopilot, which a lot of us are on. And particularly as we are exiting, or I don't even know what this phase of post-COVID, COVID reality. I mean, we, we all kind of were shot into this weird phase and did what we could to get through and survival mode or whatever it might be. But we're all, we all can get very comfortable in an autopilot kind of way of living. And that's, and it makes sense. It's just the way the brain works. It's the way the body works. And we, and that's fine. However, we aren't really making choices intentionally. We are not really in charge when we're on autopilot. And so what living on purpose is, is getting off autopilot and being in the driver's seat. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means recognizing that every moment is a choice point. And, you know, we, we get this, but we don't often talk about it like this, but you know, that the quality of our life is the sum total of the choices we make. We, we are choosing every moment. And a lot of times people think, okay, well, the quality of my life is really going to be dictated by the choices I make at the action level. Meaning, okay, so I want to live a good life. So I'm going to, I'm going to choose to wake up earlier and meditate. I'm going to choose to eat this apple over a bag of chips. I'm going to choose. And I say, you know, yeah, that's important, but that's not everything. Because to live on purpose really is choice one layer deeper. And that's choice at the level of perception. We get to interpret the stuff of our life and we choose what it means. We choose what we believe. We choose how to interpret the stuff. And so when we can harness choice at that level, that's really when we are in the driver's seat. And so that's, that, that's kind of the heart of what living on purpose is all about. When you talk about this idea of, you know, the quality of our life is the sum choice or the, the sum of the choices we've made, it also sounds like in that is a, a lot of ownership of responsibility. Is that part of it? Like, I feel like that's the dark side of the work that you're talking about, right? It's like, yeah, you're right. I do get to own it and I'm going to make the right choice. And like, oh shit, you mean like all the other things that are, are those are like, huh? So oh my gosh, yeah. How do we reconcile that piece? Because I feel like for a lot of people, they're like, mm, this was, I love this interview until I had to take that full responsibility for the, <laughs> the future and the past. That's right. You know, I'm so glad you bring this up because that really is key. If we want to be free, we cannot assume that it's by moving the pieces around in our of our life just so, so it makes us just, so it can be just right. Because then we're putting our power out there. The truth is we are fully responsible for our experience. And unless we take full responsibility for the quality of our experience, we're leaving everything up to chance and we're a victim of circumstance. And there's no ability to to move the pieces around of life just so to be happy. And so 
yeah, it, it is a dark side, but it is the most liber. It's I wouldn't say it's it's beyond dark. It's liberating. It's scary because it's saying, wow, okay, it's up to me. But then you can say, wow, okay, it's up to me versus uh-huh. it's up to you. It's up to them. It's up to the system. No, it's up to me. That That is true power right there. I talk about this concept called uh, self-actualization, which is really what you're, you're talking about here. And uh, I, when I'm speaking to women entrepreneurs in particular, we have a tendency to fall into this realm where we are seeking permission from everyone else around us to make really big decisions. And yeah. one of the things we were talking about before before we hit record was this idea of like, you know, taking ownership and, and making bold choices and brave choices and engaging in in courage. How do you get people how do you get people into that realm where, you know, living a purpose is going to require you making courageous choices? And I, I'm venturing to say, because this has been my experience, that living with intention and purpose uh, also means you you have to stop the practice of seeking permission from everyone around you for all the things. Yeah. Oh. Are we vibrating on the same? We are so vibrating. This is one of my favorite, favorite conversations. And, you know, I want to introduce a way of thinking about this that will potentially unlock um, God, so much ambition and so much energy. And the way I want to talk about this is on the flip side of bold, confident, clear, um, intentional, powerful, on the, on the shadow side of that experience, I would say, it, wouldn't it be fair to say it's probably anxiety, trepidation, nervousness, I mean, anxiety, doesn't that make sense, Megan? Wouldn't you say like on the flip side of this is that experience of anxiety, right? And so when we think about, okay, well, what's the driver of some of these decisions that we're making around like, okay, I'm going to listen, for example, I've got to make this big choice for my business and I don't know, what should I do? Do I do this? Do I do this? Well, I'm hearing this and ah, yeah. and we've, we've, we've got so much anxiety that runs in the, in the background, which drives us to make decisions. And so here's what I'll say about this. To move forward without that anxiety, to be confident and to be bold, it takes us recognizing that at every moment in time, right now, five minutes from now, for each and every one of us, we are always standing for something. But we're usually not aware of what we're standing for. And that has to do with just how busy and crazy our conscious minds are. But the truth is, in every single moment of our lives, there is a primary underlying objective that is live. So, for example, here we are. We're in this conversation. Now, if I didn't know what I know, I might be standing for you liking me. And that might be my primary underlying objective in this conversation. Or... I could ultimately be standing for book sales, right? Or I could ultimately be standing for impressing you, right? So there are all these primary underlying objectives that are live for each person, but we're usually not aware. And it's the primary underlying objective that is live in a moment that is really going to determine so much of our experience. but And so when we're not aware of what that primary underlying objective is, we're going to be victim to its whims. And so let me give you a few other examples. Have you ever had that experience where you have to give really hard feedback to a friend or a colleague, right? And it's really hard and you're like, oh, this isn't fun. I don't want to do this. Well, guess what? The only reason it's hard and the only reason you might not do it 
is because in that moment of opportunity, you are standing for avoiding conflict. You are standing for being liked. You are standing for playing it safe. You are not standing for their growth. Whoa. Right. But if you were, you were super aligned with what this was ultimately about, all of a sudden the anxiety goes away because this isn't about me. This is about them. And so in each of our moments, there is a primary underlying objective. Now, what I have found is that if anxiety, if frustration, if lack of clarity, if confusion, if any emotion that isn't productive is live, it's usually a sign that in that moment, you're probably standing for something you don't mean to be. It's just happening. You know, I, I talk a lot about this in the, in, in the context of public speaking because people always get this. They're like, oh my gosh, now I understand it. Because, you know, when it comes to public speaking, a lot of people get nervous, right? Well, guess what? The only reason we get nervous is because in that moment of opportunity, we're standing for looking good. We're standing for proving ourselves. We're standing for avoiding judgment. We are not standing for the objective. But if we were to wait, realize that in a moment, wait, no, 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 this is about urgency. This is about empowerment. This is about whatever the reason you're talking for the first place. You claim it, all of your resources, all of your mental and emotional resources now get channeled into that one focal point. <gasps> right. And that's where eloquence comes from. That's where innovation comes from. All the resistance that was sustained in that, in the doubt, in the, in, in the self stance is now released and rechanneled in the direction of, of efficiency and productivity. And so this is such a powerful tool. And, and, and I, I talk about it as a tool because it is a tool. It's a focusing mechanism. It's a tool. It's a moment by moment tool that we can use. And so as a step by step practice, it, it works like this. Step number one, if this is interesting to you, step one, you've got to care way more about how you feel because how you feel is telling you what's going on in your focus, what you're ultimately standing for. Now, if you care more about how you feel and then you decide you're not going to feel crappy anymore, then step number two, you got to catch when you're feeling nervous, when you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling apprehension, when you're feeling confusion, you got to be sensitive to that. So catch it. Step number three. Okay. Well, if I'm below neutral in the scale of emotions here, that's probably a sign I'm standing for something that's not serving me. Okay. So wait, oh, whoa, wait, hold on. I'm making this about proving myself. I'm making this about being liked. I'm making this about doing it right. I'm making it about avoiding. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. So that step three is really waking up to what you're making this about. And I'll tell you, so going back to what you were mentioning about, you know, women entrepreneurs doing, you know, putting, uh, displacing their power in other people's opinions. It's like, oh, oftentimes we fall into the stance of wanting others to like us more than being bold with what we want. And it's not that we actively choose that. It just happens. So step four is claim it. Okay. What is this? What, what do I want to make this about? I want to make this about empowerment. I'm going to make this about change. I'm going to make this about unity, love, harmony, whatever it might be, whatever is appropriate, but it's claiming that ultimate stance so that all of your resources get channeled in the right way. If you're stuck in one of these steps, like I, I really, I 
so love and appreciate that framework. If you're stuck in one of these steps, like I have, I work with a lot of clinician entrepreneurs and they're like, yeah, I'm going to change the world. Yes, it's going to be amazing, but I will not show up on a stage or on Instagram or anywhere public (laughs) because my colleagues might judge what I say. And so they're like, uh, you know, like they feel it. And I, I feel like they're on an emotional teeter totter where they're like, I'm going to take on the world. But also Megan, like I, I want to want the judgment fear to go away and I can't, I can't, rem- I can't get the stone off the teeter totter. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? And it's because it's because the stance is going to go back and forth, right? It's going to go, okay, I'm standing for protecting myself. I'm standing for protecting my image. I'm standing for avoiding judgment. I'm standing for, you know, and it's, and, and that's a choice that we're not necessarily choosing, but we're choosing it because it's happening. And so in order to pierce through this, you have to decide that you're intolerant of this feeling. Because guess what? It's a choice. And if you want to make change, you've got to confront this and say, you know what? What's more important to me? Playing it safe or changing the world? Because I can't have both. And so if it's important to me, I am going to, I'm going to claim what's most important. I'll tell you very, very transparently, when I was writing my book, I really had to wrestle with this. And I was, you know, as I was going through the process of writing, I found myself slipping into a stance of wanting to prove, to, to protect myself from the skeptics. I wanted to prove to the disbelievers. And I'm like, wait, why am I writing to the skeptics and I'm not writing to the people that are hungry for this? Whoa, this is interesting. And the only, and the reason I could tell that I would be slipping into that stance was purely by how I felt. There would be anxiety. There would be uh, dread. There would be confusion. There would be overwhelm in the process of writing. And I was so sensitive to that. I realized, wow, you know what? It's because I'm trying to write for the skeptics. Now, why would I do that? Why would I do that? And so I had to be active in really honoring this process. Now, this process is not a switch you find where all of a sudden you're going to flip. Okay, I'm going to stand for the noble thing for all time and I'm free. It doesn't work that way, right? It's a moment by moment practice based upon how you feel. That's so interesting when you talk about this idea of writing to the skeptics because I get caught doing this sometimes too. We're all in this whole diatribe trying to like position something. And I realized I haven't written it for the people who are like my people. (laughs) I wrote it it for, I wrote it for all the other people. And I remember I had one person who showed up in my, in my DMS one day and they felt the need to school me on something. And it was, it was actually really lovely. Like I just, I thanked them for reaching out, but said, you know, nowhere was my intention about trying to convince people like you uh, about my perspective. So like, like with lots of love, like Sayonara, like, yeah. like you're at, like, <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank um, you. Exactly. And I also just assume those people are all bots. And yeah. those, those kinds of assumptions are like, like when I, when I catch myself feeling it, I'm like, Oh, it must be a bot. Megan, you can't get mad at a computer. You can't let a computer or AI ruin your day. Um, it's maybe not a self-sustaining approach, but it, right. it, it, it keeps me from moving down the, the rabbit hole and letting yeah. those kinds of things sabotage my, my psychology or my physiology. And like, nah. that's right. That's right. And you know, I uh, thank you for sharing that because I mean, this is a very real, very human experience to want to gain the approval of everyone. I mean, it's just right. our neuros, it's just our neurobiology to want to be in connection with others. I mean, rejection is as painful. It's painful. And so on a conscious and non-conscious level, we are doing whatever we can to avoid judgment. Consciously and non-consciously. And so it makes sense that we're going to have these, these reactions to the disapproval. And at the same time, we get to wake up to that when it happens and go, wait, hold on, hold on. You know what? 
it's, it's, it is absolutely impossible to please everybody. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely impossible to have a one message that applies to everyone. And that's what makes the world so beautiful and amazing is that there's so many different perspectives. And there's so many different points of view is that it's the variety out there that makes this mm-hmm. so magnificent. So why, why all of a sudden do I think I am the one that has to have one message that applies for everyone? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's really embracing that reality, but it takes conscious awareness. And that's what it means to be on purpose. It's that conscious awareness. Wait, right. I'm going to harness choice at this moment right now. And I'm going to choose to stand for changing the world and recognizing that it's going to apply to the people that are interested. And then they're going to people that don't agree. And you know what? And I bless them and that's okay because they're finding their wonderful path. Great. What happens to us or for us when we move into the state where we're able to live on purpose, where we're able to catch ourselves and be like, oh, I'm not in alignment with that intention again. Or like, just it feels like a meditation, but in real life where we're yeah. like, okay, thank you. Thanks for coming into my purview, but I need to get like, you know, you've worked with so many people yeah. Yeah. and so many organizations. Yeah. Like, what are the, what are the stories of possibility on the other side of living with purpose? I love your question here because I, this was so important to me to communicate out to the world. And in fact, in, in, in Living on Purpose in the book, I interview a client of mine that I've been working with for a while. And it's exactly this question. All right, what's true for you now that, you know, we've done this work and you're on the other side of, of these practices? And, and it's a dialogue between the two of us. And I think it's chapter 13. And, you know, what Megan shares, what I will share and what I also offer in the book at the end is um, the lovely side effects of living on purpose. So there's like a whole ending chapter on this is what you can expect. But it, at the end of the day, when you are truly practicing harnessing choice at the level of perception and you take on these five deliberate choices, you get precious time and energy back because we are in such a swirl of our own inner dialogue that is is really based off false perception and fear. And when we can get on the other side of our false perception and these self-sabotaging habits and, and, and habits of self just imposition, it, it's really quite phenomenal that what you are left with is an incredible state of presence. And in that presence, you find appreciation. In that, in that state of presence, you find connection and empathy. And you find the wonder of life that really does exist that we are somewhat numb to because of the crazy inner dialogue that is just going on in our heads. And, and so when that starts to go away, then what you're left with is the ability to look around and go, wow, gosh, the leaves on those trees, that is such a beautiful green, huh? And then the laughter of children down the street to really hear it, you know, to be with someone and to be witnessing their struggle, but to not take anything what they say personal because you know it has nothing to do with you and to hold true compassion and empathy for people. To be able to sort, sift and sort through your day with discernment and not judgment. That's power. That's freedom. And so when you, when you start to get good at really truly harnessing your you know, choice at this level, as I talk about in the book, it's freedom. It's freedom. And then what's left is joy. <laughs> and don't we all want that? <laughs> don't we don't we all want that? Is it is it a choice? Is it a practice? Like what is yeah. the action that one needs to take to move into a mindset where you can triage whether sure. or not this has something to do with you? 
Ah, well, so, well, so I'm going to take it. Yeah. So let me, I'll address this question in two parts. So going to, is it a choice? Is it a practice? So the way I have framed this up is that, so the book, the subtitle of the book is five deliberate choices to realize fulfillment and joy. And I call them choices because it's a choice to take these practices or these perceptual shifts on. And that's really what this is. It's a perceptual shift and that it's a choice to take it on. The beliefs that we hold about ourselves, the beliefs that we hold about how life works, these are all choices. And it's exactly these beliefs that we choose that are really going to determine our experience. And so I, I, I detail that in the book. So here, you know, to answer that first part, are these practices? Yeah, they're practices. And it's a choice to take it on. Now, are they truths? I don't know. No. Do we, I mean, is there really true objective truth out there that we can claim? No. So these are, you know, this is an offering of a framework and a way of going about it that does lead to more freedom, that does lead to more joy if you choose to take it on. Now, to be able to decide, what was your second, what that question was, how do I tell if this is about me or not? Is that, was that the question, Megan? Yeah. Like, like here's the context of like my energy behind this is that I feel like the most low vibe place one can go to on the internet is Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I'm hundred percent right? with you. <laughs> and I have to sit there. It sounds like I have an obsession with social media, but I'm really like, I'm very aware of the energetics. Yeah. So you go to, like, if I'm having an angry day, I will just go to Twitter and I can be angrier. Wow. But the truth is, 99% of the content, at least that gets fed to me, actually isn't about, it isn't, it has nothing to do with me. Like the, the inner workings of, of negative US politics. I'm Canadian. I'm like, that has nothing, that has nothing to do. With, I can, I can understand what's happening, but that has nothing to do with me. Or, you know, someone's fight about to mask or unmask has nothing to do with me. And yet I feel like we're bombarded with the energy of it has nothing to do with me day in. Oh, so hundred percent. Like, yeah. like, how do you, is it a choice I have to make to keep it out? Is it a practice that I'm doing? Like, I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't want the stuff that's not about me in, <laughs> in my, in my perimeter. Right. Well, I'm a big advocate of, you know, safeguard your focus. There's, right. there's a couple things I'm going to say about this. So in the same way that if at the end of the day, I want to watch TV because I want to unwind and I want to relax and I want to feel good after a hard day. The last thing I'm going to do is turn to a horror film, right? right? That is not going to, I mean, that might work for some people, but in my case, not going to work for me. And so in the same way that it'd be very discerning about what channel I'm on, Mm -hmm. I am going to choose a channel that actually makes me feel good. And so if I know that there are certain, you know, stimulation channels out there, such as Twitter, such as Instagram, such as TikTok, such as news, such as if I know that there are channels out there that don't generally make me feel good, I'm not going to choose it. So there's the, there it is on the level of choice. But what I also recognize kind of below underneath that level of choice, I think the reason that it's so aggravating and what gets so work, can get us so worked up is because most of the conversations on Twitter are not, their people are not standing for, well, This is a very broad generalization, so I want to be careful. There are people out there standing for changing the world. And I'm going to guarantee that when they are in that true stance and they are truly standing for for positive change and impact, and then I bet their their message is going to land way different than most people. They get on Twitter and they're standing for being right. 
They're Mm -hmm. standing for proving themselves. They're standing for being important. They're standing for being heard. It is a self stance. And for all of us, even without, this is, you know, we, we don't really, we're not able to put our finger on this, but I'm going to make the invisible visible here. The reason it's so off-putting is because a lot of people are approaching this with a self stance. It's not about the bigger cause. It's not about making the world a better place. It's about them. And we get that on some intrinsic level and it's, it's really off-putting and that can rile us up. And so I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of things going on here, but I'm, 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 I'm all about, you know, it's, it's safeguard your focus and be, and be very, very, um, not protective, but just mind your focus because whatever you focus on is really going to determine so much. So much. It's funny because I know that I'm someone who gets triggered by dopamine. I love dopamine. I <laughs> seek dopamine. And so my husband Hi, laughs. Hi, human, me too. <laughs> right? So my husband laughs because he's like, I know that you need a dopamine hit because you're watching one of two things. CNN, because you'll get riled, or the Weather Network. And if you're on the Weather, <gasps> weather Network, it's because you've got some sort of notice that some sort of catastrophic weather system is going to hit somewhere soon. And I'm like, I'm in full-blown countdown. He's, it's like, so funny, but I, I know that I am like unconsciously seeking dopamine if I am looking at CNN or the Weather Network. I just, I, everyone should just know that. Detail about <laughs> me. So Walk into a room, like, throw this. me something exciting. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, if that's not incredible self awareness, I don't know what is. <laughs> well, that's safer than starting a new business. I will throw that out there that having that, uh, having that awareness definitely, definitely matters. Oh, for sure. For sure. You, you, you know, you talk about in, in your at the, at the forefront of your brand, Amy, is this word thrive. Yeah. What does that mean? It's like, is thrive the end goal? Is it the evolution of living on purpose? Like, what's the relationship between purpose and thriving in your experience? Yeah. Yeah. So I am a firm believer that as humans, really everything that we do, everything that we want, everything we think we want is because we think it's going to make us feel better than we do. And something we don't talk about often, something we're not taught in school is that we all want a feeling. We don't want a thing, but yet we become conditioned to think that we want a thing. What is the thing? More money. What is the thing to retire? What is the thing? A relationship. What is the thing? A house on a hill. We we're like, okay, these are my goals. These are my desires. These are my aspirations. Here's my vision board. And we get stuck on this idea that I want this stuff and my life will be great, but we don't, we don't take it all the way. Well, why do we want this stuff? Well, we want this stuff because we, we think it's going to make us feel a certain way. So at the end of the day, we want a feeling. Well, what's that feeling? That feeling is the opposite of survival mode. That feeling is one of joy, flourishing, fulfillment, meaning, love, connection. I mean, every human underneath all you know, self-imposed limitation and dysfunction that all of us sustain on some level, right, is a desire to be at peace, to be at ease, to be connected, to be present and enjoy this incredible, wondrous plane of existence that we are in. And so that's kind of what I mean by thrive. It's this desire to really just to, to, to be the... I mean, it's the opposite of survival mode, <laughs> right? To be it in is, creative yeah. mode. It's to just to be at ease and to be purposeful to create. And, mm-hmm. um, and why do I think that that's true? Because all of us are working hard towards something. 
Mm-hmm. All of us have goals. All of us have desires. I mean, the sheer fact to me, the sheer fact that we have desire really tells me it's that it's because we ultimately want to flourish. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. In in that entire response, which was all brilliant, there's just like one word that floated to the surface to me. Yeah. And that's this idea of ease. Is ease something you've been able to crack in your own life? Oh my gosh. Business, and how have you done yeah. it? Oh my gosh. Yes. This is, I love the word ease, ease and flow together. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. flow is a huge topic for me in my work with leaders and because where it's like, how do we achieve more flow? With flow comes ease. Now, Yes, I personally have because I there's a I talk about this in chapter four a little bit and in, in my second book I'm definitely gonna dive more into this because this is so I think this is so powerful. But you know, going back to this idea that all of us wanna feel good, I mean I, I is that a truth? No. Is it a, an assumption and a belief? Yes. So if we kind of take that as truth for for the sake of argument, let's just assume that everybody wants to feel good then what I propose is that, you know, if you take all emotions that you could ever feel and map them on a scale where neutrals in the middle and everything above neutral is positive emotion, everything below neutral is negative emotion. What I propose is that everything below neutral is caused by one thing. And when you get this, oh my goodness, it's a game changer. Now, everything below neutral, as mild as confusion, all the way down as intense as rage, it's just this. Doesn't matter what negative emotion it is, but it is this. The reason that we drop below neutral is because here you are in your now moment, and the and, and as soon as you resist what is, any resistance to what is will immediately drop you below neutral. So this is a really big conversation. So just topically here, I'll kind of give you the 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 fruits of it, but any resistance to what is, is going to cause a negative emotion. And to the degree that you push, resist reality, current reality, past reality, future anticipated states, to the degree that you push and resist is to the degree of the negativity. And so when we talk about ease, well, what's ease? Ease is the opposite of resistance. And so ease is the ability to recognize, oh my gosh, I'm totally just resisting what is for no good reason. For example, being in traffic. Can I change the traffic? No, but I'm hating it. Yeah. What does that cause me? Anger. But it's traffic. Can you change it? No. So why push against it? Right? So is that ease? No. So that to the degree that we push is really to the degree we take away our ability to be at ease. And so have I cracked the code on ease? I know what I need to do to be in a state of ease more often than not. Can I stay there? Heck no, <laughs> right? I'm a human and I get triggered and these things happen. But as a practice, I have decided that I'm very sensitive to when I catch this and I do the work to pop back up above neutral so that I can create more of that ease and flow. Amazing. I'm, I'm glad we've acknowledged that it is a work in progress because as you use traffic as an example, I was like... Oh. Just Twitter and traffic (laughs) brings out a whole other side of me. Hundred (laughs) percent. So, Amy, I have I have a portion of of all of my interviews, and I call them our impact ingredients, where we just like have an opportunity to get a sense of like who you are, some of the decisions you make, not necessarily your processes and your systems, but like you. Like, how do you how do you put these things into place? So, I've got a few. I've got a few rapid fire questions for you. If you'll indulge, indulge me when you need it on a moment's notice, how do you cultivate courage? I change my, I, I, I claim my stance. Courage is the absolute 
product of the stance I hold. And so if I need courage, I have to immediately know what I'm standing for and I have to claim the noble stance and boom, I got courage. What's your motivational beverage of choice? Oh, well, at six in the morning, it's coffee. <laughs> at six at night, it's wine. <laughs> so, okay, so we've we've got we've got a whole we've got a whole we've got a whole curve we're working with. That's right, sparkling water in the in the middle of the day. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I've got the. I love yeah. I love me some liquids. <laughs> yeah, I've got I, I've got sparkling water and a matcha latte on my desk currently. So yeah, we I do have a I do have a. Uh, have a spread. Yeah. I yeah. have I have motivational beverage range. <laughs> Same. What's it the... totally changes on vacation too. Just mind you, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. What is the biggest non-negotiable for you in your life? I refuse to do anything because it sounds like a good idea. Because it is what somebody said I should do. I it is absolutely non-negotiable for me to act on a strategy, I have to be heart aligned. I, I I feel things out. I don't necessarily, I figure them out, but I have to feel it out. So non-negotiable for me is to move forward because I should. Ah, there it is. The non-negotiable is I never, ever, 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 ever live or operate by the word should. And that's such a big conversation. And such a big conversation. Yeah. That's a good one. As an entrepreneur, were you born with it or did you oh, learn God, no. to be an entrepreneur? No, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> Actually, it's so Quite funny. Definitive there. I never, ever anticipate. I, I mean, if anything, if you asked me as a kid, asked me in high school, asked me, in, if you asked me while I was working at Sun Microsystems, do you think you would ever be an entrepreneur? I would say, hell no, absolutely not. That is, that is a stress I do not want to take. <clears throat> and lo and behold, here I am. It's, yeah, no, it is. My husband is the serial entrepreneur and extremely good and successful at it. So he definitely influenced me. Um, but no, I, this was, this was definitely something I have cultivated. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was not in my, was not in my vision for myself as a child. And last question for you, what do you want your legacy of impact to be? You know, legacy is an interesting word for me because, you know, when I, I, I think a lot through the lens of stance and the, the word legacy to me is interesting because I think inherent in that word for me is that there is a bit of a self stance. It's like legacy. It's like, what am I leaving behind for the sake of my legacy? And it's like, well, that's not really what it's about. Because it's not about what am I, you know, and so, and I, I don't think that, you know, that that's really what you're, what you're asking. But mm-hmm. I mentioned this because it's, it's a very interesting word for me. And it tells me a lot about where someone's focus and stance is. And so I would actually reframe that question as, you know, what do I want? What do I, what do I choose my purpose to be here on earth? What am I, what have I decided why am I here? What am I here to do? Well, is this going to sound so woo-woo and, and just so cheesy? But you know, Megan, I have decided, I knew this back when I was in third grade. I just didn't have words for it. But when it comes down to it, I, I am here to raise the vibration of consciousness. I am here to infuse more love and, and help people open their eyes to possibility and, and to more ease, more flow, more love, and to essentially raise that vibration of possibility. And so that that's really what I'm all about. 
no cheese, no woo. Like that is all <laughs> that's all resonating. I'm I'm on your vibe. So that's woo! like it, it feels I love uh, it. that that feels uh that feels totally aligned. Yeah. Amy Wong, it's been a pleasure having this conversation. Where can we send people to learn more about your yeah. book, Living on Purpose, yeah. and the work that you're putting into the world? Thank you so much. Yeah. So my book, Living on Purpose. Five Deliberate Choices to Realize Fulfillment and Joy. Amazon is probably the easiest place to get it. And it's also available where all books are sold. So if that's Barnes & Noble or Target or whatever, that's, you know, you can get them in those spots. Amazon for sure is probably the easiest. My website is always on purpose. And so there's a lot of information on my website. If this interest, if this conversation was interesting, I've got a lot more and a lot more resources there. Um, but if you also want to find out more, I'm, the only social media platform I am on and enjoy is LinkedIn. <laughs> so <laughs> the other ones I just don't have bandwidth for. So um, if you know LinkedIn as a business person is a way of staying in touch with my clients, and I love I love that platform. So Amy Elisa Wong on LinkedIn. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much, Amy. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll link you up to all of these things in our show notes. You can find those at meganwalker.com forward slash podcast. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you, Megan. This is a pleasure. Impact is what lives on when we leave the room, tuck them in or step off stage. It is less about what you do, more about how you make them feel and everything about how you choose to show up in the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this episode. I am your host, Megan Walker. Until next week, aim for impact.